Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. Today we're going to talk about the law. Uh, I know uh, when, you, when you hear the word law, uh, you may get a, a bad taste in your mouth. Uh, what images, what feelings come into your mind when you think of the law? Do you get irritated? Do you get mad? Do you get frustrated? The fact of the matter is that we live in a country of laws. Like it or not, we live in a society of laws. Uh, whether you, you like them, whether you don't like them, that's the fact. And when you think of those laws, what is it uh, that, it make, how does it make you feel? You know, like for instance, let's talk about this, you know. Who decided that 25 is the speed limit that you have to maintain on a certain road? And if you go over that speed limit, you might get a ticket. Who determined that you can't park in a certain place between 4 and 6 p.m. during a weekday? Who decided that law? What makes that place so much more special than other places? And when things like that happen, you see the signs, you wonder, well, who determined that? Probably some of you have experienced these uh, zoning laws that restricts what you can and cannot do to a piece of property that you own. And so you get frustrated, you get mad, you get irritated and say, who is it that determined these laws? But the question is, would you really want to live in a society that doesn't have laws? Would you really want to be involved in a community that has no sense of order, no sense of structure within it? You know, there are those individuals that want to live without laws. Uh, They say there's no authority outside of the individual. And when you get that type of attitude, you develop the attitude that we see in Judges chapter 21, verse 25, when it says, in those days Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. Or some translation, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. But you see, when there is no objective authority, when there is no law, when there's not something out there that's helping us maintain some type of order, then each individual is free to develop whatever he wants to do. He's able to develop his own type of laws. So he could very easily say out and says, my law says that I can steal from you and I can kill you. Who's to say he's wrong? You see, without some objective truth, some arbiter of truth out there, we just make our own laws and we live by them. And so that's the way it is. Who's to say that person's idea is wrong over our ideas of what is wrong? Now, most of the laws that we have here in the, in the Western Hemisphere, in the United States, comes from the Bible. Specifically, those laws come from the Old Testament. Now, there are many people today, uh, even in the society here in the United States, they want to do away with the Bible. They want to do, with, do away with all references to God whatsoever. They would just as soon take God out of the equation and live as they want to live. Now, normally, when we think of those type of individuals, we think of unbelievers. But you'd be surprised that there are believers that think that we do not have to live by the law. Their philosophy is this. Now that we're under grace, the law is no longer relevant for our lives. Therefore, we do not have to live by it. So what they do is they go out and establish a religion of doing their own thing. 
They create their own rules, their own standards, and they do whatever they want because they say the Old Testament is no longer relevant for this day and age. So many of them take the Bible and they rip the Old Testament out of the Scripture and say the only inspired word is that spoken in the New Testament. So they rip out the Old Testament and they look for the parts of the New Testament that they can apply to their life. And sometimes they even pick out their favorites that they use. But Jesus said in our, in our passage for this morning, He said, I did not come to abolish the Old Testament, but I came to fulfill it. Now the context of that statement is the Sermon on the Mount. We began looking at this last week under the heading Kingdom Living. What's it like to live in the kingdom of God? What's it like to be a kingdom citizen? Last week we learned that a genuine disciple is one who is the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And he told us, he said, we are to do our works before men that they may see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. However, Jesus didn't specifically iron out what that was to look like. He didn't specifically say what we are to do or how we are to live. You see, some of the disciples may have thought that Jesus was a revolutionary and He was going to come and He was going to tear away the Old Testament and give them some new laws, some new standards in which to live by. But Jesus counters that philosophy. He counters that idea in our passage for this morning. And what Jesus does is He's going to give us a new understanding to an old revelation. And that's what we're going to look at this morning in Matthew chapter 5, 17 through 20. As we look at these words under the heading, a new application for an old revelation. Notice what Jesus says in this passage. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven." There's two truths I want you to look at in this passage this morning. The first one is how Jesus clarifies His relationship to the Old Testament. And in so doing that, He gives us a word of correction. Look at verse 17 in this passage. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Don't think that I've come to abolish that. You know, there's followers uh, thought that Jesus would throw out the old, old laws and that He would begin something new. But Jesus says, not so. That's not what I'm here to do. Notice that phrase. He says, I have come. Behind that word is a divine sending. So Jesus is saying, don't think that my Father, don't think that God sent me here to abolish these laws. That's not what He he did. And that word abolish, all these words are important. That word abolish means to untie or to loosen uh, something. It's the same word that was used in Mark 1 verse 7 when John the Baptist said that he's not worthy to untie the sandals of Jesus' feet. It's the same word used in John 11 
verse 44, when Jesus told his, his followers to unloose, untie the bonds that held Lazarus after he had been raised from the dead. It's the same uh, word that's used in Acts chapter 22, verse 30, when it's told of loosing or undoing Paul's bonds, his chains, or releasing him from prison. So when you look at it in that way, Jesus is saying, do not think that God sent me here to loosen or to untie the law and the prophets. He goes, that's not why I came. That's not what it here. So he, he gives this word of correction. Then he explains why he did come. He says in the, next, in the next phrase, he said, I have not come to abolish them, to unloosen them, to, to get rid of them. He said, but I have come to fulfill them. And that word fulfill paints the image of a, of a cup that's just about to overflow. You filled it as far as you can. And if it takes one more drop, it would flow over the side. Jesus said, I have come to fulfill it to the fullest. I have come to truly bring it to its full fulfillment is what he's saying. How did he do that? How did Jesus fulfill the law? How did Jesus fulfill the prophets? There's lots of different ways that people talk about that, but I think the primary ways that Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets was by his teaching and by his living. By teaching, he, he gave a deeper meaning to the original law. And by his living, he met the requirements of the Old Testament. Now, you need to understand that when Jesus is talking about the Old Testament and the prophets, he's talking about the original Hebrew Scripture. He's talking about the Scripture that was given to Moses. He's not talking about the interpretations, the understandings, or the other laws that people had put into it. When you go back and look at the Old Testament, it's basically a set of principles. It's a set of guidelines to live your life. For instance, the Bible says to honor the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. Now, the principle behind that is we ought to have a day of rest. We ought to have a day of rest as God rested after creating all of the earth. Uh, those of you that think that God needed to rest, you don't understand it. God did not create the Sabbath for Himself. He created the Sabbath for man. He says, you ought to have a time of rest. And so the religious leaders looked at that and said, that's not enough. We need to clarify what that means. So they begin writing all these other laws and sub-laws underneath the other laws to say how, how they ought to do that. I think they came up with something like 684 laws behind that one law. Honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And they came up with this. Jesus is saying, he said, I didn't come to fulfill all that. He said, I came to give fulfillment to the original law. Honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. This is what Jesus was saying in this passage. He said, that's why you see later on as we get into these passages the next several weeks, Jesus will say, you have heard that it was said this. He goes, but I tell you this. So Jesus has taken the Old Testament, he's taken the original intent of the law and says, let me tell you what it really means. And then he'll talk about murder, and he'll talk about adultery, and he'll talk about stealing. He'll talk about all those things, but he'll give you the true meaning of what it, under, what it really means. So he gives us this word of correction. Don't think that I've come to abolish, that I've come to do away with this. I've come to fulfill it. And then he's going to give us a word of instruction. We see this in verse 18. 
I tell you the truth, as if Jesus could speak a lie. But anytime you see that phrase, I tell you the truth, it means this is something of importance. This is something of significance that Jesus wants to communicate. He says, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law. You see, he gives us this word of certainty. Jesus is saying, every jot, every tittle is going to be fulfilled. We would say it this way in, in today's, every I will be dotted, every T will be crossed, and every comma will stand in the Old Testament law and the prophets. So Jesus is saying, everything in the Old Testament will endure for all time. And then he adds a caveat, or he adds a, an important qualifier. Notice what he says in the latter part of verse 18. Will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So there will come a day when we will no longer need the law, but that will only happen when everything has been accomplished according to God's design. Everything's going to endure. Now, many aspects of the law are already fulfilled. For instance, the sacrifices, they're already fulfilled. When Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, came, he did away with the Old Testament sacrifices. You know, when that which is perfect comes, we do away with all those things that are imperfect. All the sacrifices in the Old Testament simply pointed to the ultimate sacrifice in Jesus Christ. So the sacrificial system is done. It's over with. We can learn from them, but we do not have to engage in sacrifices anymore. But there's other laws that have not been fulfilled. They are still as, as uh, important today as they were then. Such things as love God and love one another. Those are still active. We still have to follow those rules, those laws, those precepts, those principles that God has for us to do. And God says that, that we are to live by a standard. We are to live by the standard that He's created. And, and we, we do that. And it, and it helps us to live according to the way God would have us to live. But some people don't want to live by a standard. They want to make up their own rules, make up their own laws. And, and when they do that, they, they find it's, it's, it's convenient for them because they don't have to confront God. They don't have to, to face God in that way. But God says, look, I've established this law. I've established it. And he's giving credence to the revelation of the Old Testament in that way. And it's relevant for us. It's relevant for those of us in this room and those of us that are listening today. There are those people out there, maybe you know some of them, they want the law without God. They want the law without God. We call that legalism. They want to live by a legalistic standard. They want to say, here's the do's and the don'ts. They want to live by that standard, as I talked about very briefly, because they find it convenient because they don't have to confront God. They don't really have to live up to God. And here's the way we do it in, in modern times. Maybe it's not so much today, but we say, you know, we used to have our little envelopes, and we fill out the envelopes. You know, studied your lesson, yes. Read scripture, yes. Invited somebody, yes. Uh, read my lesson, yes. Uh, giving, giving my offering, yes. And we do that, and we, and we, we pat ourselves on the chest, go, 
Look at me. Look at me. Look at all the things that I've done. And we can check it off the box or we can get a gold star. But we never have to face the reality of God confronting us because we're keeping the law. We're obeying the standards. But we never allow God to change our hearts. And we never allow God to confront the sin that is so prevalent in our lives. Because all we have to do is keep the do's and do the do's and don't do the don'ts. That's all we have to do. And we reduce the Bible to a set of religious code, to a set of do's and don'ts that we're supposed to do or not do. So we just go through the motions. And as long as we do them in the appropriate manner, we're okay. You see, we want the law, but we don't really want God. But can I tell you there's another danger? The other danger is... Uh, we want God without the law. Uh, I see this is probably a lot more prevalent uh, outside of church circles uh, than we would like to admit. There are those individuals that do not want to live under the moral obligation of knowing God. They want liberty. They want to be able to live the way they want, whatever they want, and however they want. You see, they have knowledge that God loves them but they do not want to be bothered by living by His laws for their life. They want the freedom of salvation and they want that good knowledge, but they want to live any way they want. These are the kind of people that pervert grace. These are the kind of people that distort what grace is all about. Here's their prayer. This is what they pray. Lord, You made me this way. Thanks for accepting me just as I am. That's fine, but they don't want to change. They don't want to be challenged by the very presence of God to change their life and to conform into the image of the name they say they proclaim. And what Jesus says, and I know this is hard. This is controversial. I know that. You know, I'm not, we're not going to delve into all of it today. You're just going to have to walk with me through this Sermon on the Mount to understand what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you cannot have God without accepting the law of God. You can't do it. Because what you're doing, you're cheapening grace, and you're cheapening what Jesus did upon the cross. He came to set you free from the law, but not so that you can live apart from the law. There has to be, there has to be Sinai, Mount Sinai, where the law was given, and there has to be Mount Calvary, where the law was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You have to have both. So you've got to have Sinai, the Old Testament represented by Mount Sinai, and Calvary that's represented in the New Testament. You've got to have both. You've got to understand what grace is all about, but then you've also got to understand what the law and how it affects your life. So this is what Jesus does in the very first part of this, this text. He clarifies his relationship to the Old Testament. Now he goes on and he clarifies what is to be his followers' relationship to the Old Testament. And in so doing, he offers us a word of contrast. He talks about the person who violates with the person who validates. So the person who violates the law and the person who validates the law. Look at verse 19 in your text. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of God of heaven. Whoever breaks and whoever teaches others to do the same. That word breaks means to set aside. 
it means to set aside. The word called means called by God Himself. So what Paul, what Jesus is saying, Paul will say it too, but what Jesus is saying, anyone who sets aside the law and teaches others to do the same thing will be called by God the least in His kingdom. Called by God in His kingdom, there'll be the least. Look at verse 19. He goes on and shares in the second part of verse 19. He says, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. The word practices means to give shape to, to give body to. So, so you could read that. He said those individuals who take the commands of God and they give flesh, they give life to those commands, God will call him the greatest in the kingdom of God. You see, these are not just words on a printed page. We're supposed to live them out in life. We're supposed to incarnate the law. We're supposed to incarnate the truth that the law has. And he says, whoever does this and teaches others to do the same, he said, they will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. This is what he says in his word. Jesus said, the manner in which we treat the law in the present, in this world in which we live, will determine our kingdom position in the future. How we live it out. So he gives us this word of contrast between the person who doesn't keep it and the person who does keep it. Now he gives us this word of confidence in verse 20. Look at what he says. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. He says surpasses. That word surpasses means to overflow. Remember we talked about the cup that's filled to the brim. This is where it actually overflows the cup. Jesus is saying, unless your righteousness is better than the best, higher than the highest, purer than the purest, you will not be able to enter the kingdom of God. That's a pretty heavy assignment. That's a pretty heavy task. You know, we're hard on the religious leaders of Jesus' day, and we should be. We ought to be hard on the religious leaders of this day and age. Um, you know, we ought to be hard about those individuals who ask you to follow them and not follow Jesus. Uh, we, ought to, we ought to be critical of those individuals. Uh, you know, we should always be doing that. But we're often critical of the religious leaders. But if there's one thing these religious dudes did right, boy, they kept the law. I mean, they kept it down to the minute detail. These would be the individuals that they would tithe on their income tax check. That's how legalistic, get this one. They would tithe on the stimulus check they get from the government. They say, it's not theirs. It's God gave it to me, so therefore they would tithe 10%. These are the kind of people that on Sunday morning, they would take one of those good pastries or a good cookie, and they would cut it down in tenths and give a tenth of that back to the church back to the church or they would take a coffee and pour out 10% of it and give it back to the church we don't want crumbled cookies and coffee grounds in our offering plates 
The point I'm trying to say, that's what they would do. They were so legalistic that they observed everything about it. Jesus even said, look, you would take a mint. Let's, let's take uh, salt. They would take the salt, pour it out on the ground, take a fine-tooth comb and pull out each little grain of salt, count it out, and make sure they gave 10% to the church. This is how legalistic they were. And Jesus says, unless your legalism, unless your righteousness surpasses those, you're not going to get into heaven. You're not going to make it. I doubt very seriously if any of us measure up. I doubt very seriously if any of us could measure our righteousness to those of those religious leaders. But here's what Jesus says. That's not enough. That form of righteousness is not enough. It will not get you in to heaven. So what was wrong with it? What was wrong with the externals of their religion is it didn't adhere to the internals of religion. Remember one time, Jesus told these religious leaders, you're nothing but whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. There's no life in you. There's no life. You look pretty on the outside, but on the inside you're ugly. You're dying. You're decaying is what he's saying. Why? Because their, their religion was partial, not total. They would keep the externals, but they would forget the internals. As a matter of fact, it was kind of a cafeteria style of righteousness. They would pick and choose what they wanted to observe and what they'd want to keep. You know, for instance, they kept the ceremonial laws, but they forgot the spiritual laws. They would argue with the fence posts about how far somebody could carry a weight on the Sabbath, but they did not care if somebody was healed on the Sabbath. This is how legalistic they had become. You see, their religion had become egotistical, not devotional. It brought glory to themselves and not glory to the God whom they said that they loved and worshipped. So Jesus calls for a different type of obedience. Jesus calls for righteousness received rather than achieved. He said you can't achieve it. This is something you can only receive by the grace of God. And what Jesus is ultimately saying is when the internal, when the internal is right, with God. The external will reveal that truth. If you're right with God in here, you won't have any problem keeping the commands out here. It won't bother you. It won't hurt you. This is what he says in verses 19 to 20. He's calling for a, a more detailed, a more a different type of obedience. Uh, most of you listening have either had children or you have children. So you're going to understand uh, where I go with this illustration. Uh, your, your children's obedience can be obtained in a multitude of ways. In, in one way or another, you can, you can gain their obedience. You can do it through force. You can threaten them. Say, if you don't do this, I'm going to beat the tar out of, tar out of you. Or I'm going to ground you. I'll take away your, your video game. I'll take you whatever. You're grounded for forever, for eternity, if you don't do this. So you can do it through, through fear. Uh, you, you, can, you can force them to do that. And then what they become is little slaves, little robots, little puppets that they do what you want them to do because they're afraid of you. 
But I don't think that's what you want. You, you don't want them to, to follow you because they fear you. You want them to have a deeper love for you, a deeper uh, value of you. You want them to follow you because it comes from the heart, because they love you, and because they know that you have their best interest at heart. You see, you don't want more and more uh, obedience. You want better obedience. You want a deeper obedience. You want that obedience that comes from the heart. If we who are sinful want that for our children, how much more would a holy God want that for His children? You see, God doesn't want us to obey Him because we fear Him. He wants us to obey Him because we love Him. Because we care for Him. When we understand the kind of love God bestowed upon us through Jesus Christ, we would then want to respond to Him out of love. What was it that Jesus said? I know, I'm just asking you. What did Jesus say? He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will obey me. Jesus did not say, if you respect me, you will keep my commandments. Neither did he say, if you know that I'm God, you will keep my commandments. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You see, that's the way we demonstrate our love for God, is by the way we obey His written word. Ultimately, all word, all this comes from God. All of it. We could say Jesus is the author of all Scripture. The Holy Spirit, Jesus, and God are all the same. So the same, the same Jesus that said these words is the same Jesus that gave us the Ten Commandments, that gave us the principles in the Old Testament. He does not contradict. It's all true according to Him. You see, if we respect Him and we have fear for Him, that's only going to get us so far. But if we love Him, that's going to take us to places we've never been before and cause us to do things we've never done before. So let me ask you a question. Is that the kind of obedience that you have? Is that the kind of obedience that you live your life by, that whatever Jesus asks you to do, you do it? Or are you still holding on to your way of doing things? Or are you still holding on to what you think He wants and to say, saying, Jesus, because I love you, I'm willing to do whatever you ask me to do. I'm willing to live however you ask me to live. So the question I'm going to ask you this morning, how are you doing? How do you line up with this? Do you meet the criteria that Jesus is pointing out? Now remember, these are his words, not mine. I didn't just make these up. These are his words. You see, what Jesus is ultimately going to do, he's setting the table. He's setting the table, said, none of us measure up. None of us. That's why Jesus Christ came to die upon the cross so that we could, so that God could take the righteousness that belongs to Jesus and place it upon us and cover us in his righteousness. Because we would never measure up to the law. We would never, never measure up to the standards. That's why Jesus says, take my righteousness upon you. And he'll clothe us with his holiness, with his purity. 
And through that, we will be made right with God. And because Jesus Christ has done that for us, now we want to live our life the best way that we possibly can in obedience to how He's called us to live. Yes, love God, love people, but follow the laws. Follow the principles, the guidelines that He's given because He knows how life is to be lived. And He came to give us life to the fullest. He came to give us abundant life.